Hey friends, Meg Rowley here. Welcome back to Cultural Conversations with iHub. Today, we have the opportunity to hear from Jennifer Bircher. Jen has lived in a variety of countries, from Kenya to Saudi Arabia. Let's hear more about her work experiences as she has taught HR and leadership development programs in a variety of cultures. I'm wondering if you can tell me just a little bit about your background, like where you're from, where you got your education, et cetera. Sure. Well, I was born in California, in uh, San Diego, and then I've lived in various places. We lived in North Dakota, we lived in England, and then in Salt Lake City for kind of junior high and high school. I went on a mission to Japan. And then I went to BYU and studied business. I got a minor in Japanese and accounting. And then um, I went off to work in Los Angeles for a printing company, an international printing company, doing pretty much human resources my whole career, just progressing up into various levels. And then a few years after working, I got my master's in human resources because my company paid for it and worked full time and did that at Claremont University. It's in uh, California. And then just have been working for the last 20 years in human resources. That's awesome. Okay, so tell me about some of the places that you've worked in. Yeah, so I worked for nine years at a printing company in Los Angeles. But while I was there for three of those years, I went and worked in London. And so I lived there. And that's when I started doing international human resources. So I supported offices in England, in France, Germany, and Luxembourg. And so I did that. And then I went back to Los Angeles and kept working for them. And then they had layoffs and closed their plant. So I actually lost my job. But I was lucky. I, I had two offers within a few months. And I was still getting redundancy pay, they call it, from being laid off. So when I started my next job, I had double pay, pay coming from my previous company. So a layoff is not always a bad thing. But it's it can be scary too. So then I went to work. I had an offer from Sony and I had an offer from Medtronic. So I prayed a lot about which one to take. The Sony job actually paid more, but I decided to take the Medtronic job. It's a like a pharmaceutical medical device company. And I chose that because in human resources, the kind of people you work for is really important. And I thought at Sony, I would probably have a lot of really big egos and personalities, which would be hard to manage <laughs> from a human resources side. But it was a really hard decision because it was a Japanese company and I had served my mission in Japan, spoke Japanese. So it was a big decision. But anyway, I actually only stayed there for a year. I had a headhunter call me to go and work for Nestle. So I went and worked for Nestle doing human resources for about three years. I was still single and I was in my 30s and I started feeling like this is really not what I want out of life. Just going to work every day, going home, living by the beach in Santa Monica was a really wonderful life, but it was also, I didn't feel like I had a lot of purpose. So I decided to walk away from that, which was a really big, difficult decision, but I had an opportunity to go and do a nonprofit startup in Kenya. So I put my condo up for rent and moved to Nairobi and a huge leap of faith. I consulted a few friends before I did this and they said, Jen, everyone talks about doing that kind of thing, but no one does it. And I said, well, I'm going to be the one that does it then. <laughs> so that's what I did. I lived there for a year, learned about farming, helped set up a farming project with a product with a root called cassava and learned how, how you farm that. So it was really kind of an entrepreneurial 
experience. It was funded by the Melinda and Bill Gates Foundation and the Ministry of Agriculture in Kenya. And so I worked with the local farmers, learned how to purchase cassava. From the Ministry of Agriculture, I learned how you dry it and produce it into flour. So I hired employees, learned just a completely different culture of working with people who are really desperate for money. Sometimes we couldn't pay them, so I actually bought groceries for them because I knew that would be their greatest need. While I was working there on the side, I picked up some work with a consulting company. So I did leadership development. They just paid me a daily rate, and I went into companies and did leadership development, developed materials for them and then train their leaders on how to be more effective leaders. One of the companies I worked for was the UN World Food Program, Somalia. So they sent me to Somalia to train their leaders. Yeah, (laughs) it was a crazy experience. Uh I flew on a UN plane because commercial airplanes don't fly there. It's too dangerous. From the airport, we were escorted to the headquarters for their facility and took them through some leadership training and learned all about the Somali culture and had some evenings with some of the employees at their homes. So I got to learn a little bit about more of the culture from a personal side. I did that while I was there. One of my friends from California called me and said, are you done traveling the world and ready to come back and work? Because when I lived in Kenya, I did travel to about 10 different countries in Africa just when I had time by myself so I could see. And of course, that's a whole other story of adventures from the business side. So my friend, he um, worked for a company in Saudi Arabia called Saudi Aramco, which is an oil company. So he was actually a dentist there. So the employees, the company provides dentists and and schools for the kids, all Western type facilities. So they had just built a new leadership development center and were trying to hire people who had background in human resources and leadership development. So I was the first female that they were considering because it's just hard for Western women to work in Saudi Arabia. And they were very interested in me and they hired me and I ended up working there five years. So I had uh, different kind of hats that I wore while I worked there, but mostly I facilitated lots of workshops like the Franklin Covey workshop, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. So I was certified in those types of programs and facilitated them. Then I did coaching I got certified in business coaching while I was there and coached uh, individual leaders. They're called like high potential leaders that have, they're kind of marked for top leadership positions. So I'd work with them one-on-one and help coach them and help teach them how to more effectively manage people kind of in a more Western type style. In Saudi Arabia, I actually met my husband. He was doing exactly what I was doing, working for a company in Saudi Arabia, British guy. So we got married. And then he had an offer to come and work in Switzerland and asked me if that's something I would want to do as well. And I said, of course, (laughs) that sounds amazing. So I started applying for jobs in Switzerland and was able to find something within just a few months. So that was really cool, an American company. So yeah, that's what brought us to Switzerland. And my role was global human resources director. So I had about 10 different locations throughout the world of employees that I provide HR support for. And then I have HR managers in each of these countries that report up to me. And now I'm still here in Switzerland working. (laughs) That's awesome. My first question is when you were in Kenya, when you started to go there for the first time, what was your support system? I really didn't have much support. I had been to Kenya before 
when I was working in Nestle on my vacation time, I went with some other friends and we started building schools and medical clinics. So I had built some Kenyan networks. So when I was ready to leave Nestle and explore the world, I called one of them and said, if I gave you a year of my time for free, would you be able to utilize me? What could you do with me? And he said, well, absolutely. I have this farming project we want to get going. Could you come over here and run that for us? My background's human resources, not running a business, but I think I could do it if you think I could. And he said, absolutely. If you, if you study human resources, you can do anything. So <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny that he thought that, but it was really, really tough. No, I didn't have a network there. I had to get tough really quickly and really figure out what people's intentions were versus people who genuinely wanted to be a friend of mine. So it was really tough. Yeah, that Mm -hmm. sounds really hard. Did you experience language barriers or did a lot of people speak English? So what I did is I started studying Swahili, but I didn't get very far. (laughs) (laughs) But I I just hired a private tutor and then um, I could at least talk my way through when I was trying to take transportation. I could negotiate enough that they knew they couldn't take advantage of me. I mean, they could have and I wouldn't have known, but I tricked them because I knew a little (laughs) bit of Swahili in regards to that. That was helpful. And then English is the main language. But again, I just had to, I think I probably went to being a little naive to really suspicious of everyone around me and had to be for survival. So in regards to international assignment, it's probably one of the toughest. It's really difficult Africa for someone who's grown up in the USA. Wow, that's pretty crazy. And then you said when you went to Somalia, you had some chances to have dinner with people who were living there and you got Mm -hmm. to see kind of a little bit about their culture. How would you describe that? It's really interesting because the women are all covered, even their eyes, so kind of a netting. So actually, this was helpful. It prepared me for Saudi Arabia, which I went to next. So I feel like it's a culture that's missing half of their people because half of their people are covered, the women. When I went out into the market, I would just see men. And that's a weird thing in a country to just see one gender. But when I went into the home of the people, some of the employees, I went into the kitchen with the women and they uncovered completely. And they were just cool, normal women like you and I, you know, (laughs) just talking about their life. In some ways, I feel sad for the lack of freedoms that they have no idea that they're missing as women, but they were genuinely happy people and really excited to learn from me and what I had to offer and what I had to bring. So that was really cool. That's interesting. Yeah, that's awesome. When you were in Saudi Arabia, you were working for like an American company or like a Western company that was based there, right? And yeah, well, it's a it is a Saudi owned company because it's a Saudi Arabia oil company. But it was originally, I guess the oil was discovered by some Americans and they partnered with Saudis to create this company. And eventually it became more and more Saudi owned throughout the years. So it's quite Saudi owned. But yes, their goal is to try and become more westernized. They're always striving to do that. So did you work with any like Saudi women? Would there be Saudi women in your guys' offices? This was unusual, though, because most Saudi women are not allowed to work. Their husbands have to give them permission to work. So I had some Saudi women reporting to me, but I knew they had special privileges to be able to work and to work at a company because their husbands had to give them permission to do that. So there's not a lot, but there are there are women that work there. 
Okay. What have you seen, like, cultural differences between Switzerland and the United States? What's similar is Switzerland has what are called cantons, and those are very similar to states. So we have federal laws and state laws, and they've got federal laws and canton laws. So you pay taxes to both, you know, to the canton and to the federal government, and laws and rules and policies and holidays, they're different based on each canton. But the interesting thing is, Switzerland is only a population of about six to seven million people in their whole country. And it's a very small country, it just has a lot of wealth and a lot of power. So you think of it as being bigger. In Los Angeles, it seems like there are maybe eight million or so in the city of Los Angeles. And you think of that compared to the whole country of Switzerland, 6 million people. So similarities, I would say the Swiss people tend to be very active and outdoorsy and healthy. I think California is kind of more like that, healthy, outdoorsy. Being active is important to them. The thing that's different, maybe that's where you're going to go as well, is they're very rule and policy oriented. And Americans, we tend to be a little bit more, how can we break the rules or how can we bend the rules to make things work? And so sometimes I feel a little rebellious here because if you break a rule, your neighbor will point it out to you. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. Have you had any experiences where that's like happened? Yes. Oh, yes. You put your garbage out on garbage day on the street, just in a bag. And I didn't, when we first moved here, I couldn't see any garbage bags by our building. So I saw some across the street. So I went to put them across the street by the other bags. And someone was watching me, (laughs) unknownst to me, and came running out and chewed me out in German (laughs) that that was not where I was allowed to put my bag. I had to put my bag on my side of the street. They will definitely point out to you yeah, if that's something pretty wrong. Important. When you said that they were chewing you out in German, that reminded me there's multiple national languages, right? That are yes. recognized as yes. What are they? Mm-hmm. There's actually four national languages. So German, French, Romanish, and Italian. So I live in the German-speaking part of Switzerland. So mostly I'm involved with German-speaking people, but I work in a French-speaking part of Switzerland. So my colleagues are French-speaking. Swiss, their second language required is one of the other languages in the country that they don't speak, and then English. So most of them speak three languages. Wow, yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah. (laughs) So when I complain to them about having to learn Japanese on my mission, they're like, it's just another language. (laughs) (laughs) They don't have any sympathy. (laughs) What's the difficulty? Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, and another interesting bit, though, in the German-speaking part, they actually speak what's called Swiss German, which is different than German from Germany. It's not really another language. I think it's more than a dialect of German. It's a little bit more trickier. Interesting. So have you lived outside of the U.S. longer than you've lived inside the U.S. now? I would say I've lived outside of the U.S. maybe 20 years, consecutive maybe 15. And then, you know, my mission. And then as a kid, we lived in England. So maybe 20 years in total. Wow. Um, Yes. In some ways, I don't feel very American. I mean, I I love America. But when I'm in the USA, I can tell I feel different. Okay, so what would you say are some of the pros and cons of working in different countries than you grew up in? When we lived in England, I was quite young when we moved there. I was about six years old. Something just happened to me that changed how I saw the world because I realized at that point that I had to see the rest of the world and that 
America wasn't the only thing. There were different ways of doing things. The international, not just, I don't just mean travel, but I mean actually live and experience the culture really hit me at a young age. And I desperately uh, had that desire to do that, but I didn't know how I could get that experience. And when I eventually did, which was through begging and begging my first company to send me to Europe. So I was in England for like three years and I went back to the USA. And that's when I realized I felt that I was lacking more purpose in my life. And so I, that's why I went to Kenya. I wasn't feeling satisfied and I needed to get away because I just missed the continual growth that happens when you're in a foreign country because you're continually having to test how you see things and push those limits to how the rest of the world or this other country sees things. We think how we see it is the best way and the right way. But once you get living in these other countries, you realize some things here are actually better. But there's definitely things that are better in the USA. So nothing is perfect in any country. For example, on my mission, we didn't wear shoes in, in Japan. They don't wear shoes in the home. So when I came back to the USA, I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. It's so much more hygienic. It's more comfortable. I'm going to do that. So there's things you pick up and you bring back with you. Recycling in Switzerland, recycling is huge. And I know wherever I live in the USA, again, I will take that with me because it's my way to contribute and help the environment. So there's just so many wonderful things you learn in other countries that you can bring back into your life in the USA. That's awesome. What advice or recommendations would you give to somebody who's like interested in working outside of the United States? I was hoping you'd ask me this because I actually get people who connect with me on LinkedIn a lot and ask me, I want to go work there. How did you do that? I want to do it. And I'm always saying it's not glamorous how I got here. <laughs> so like I said, when I first came on my assignment, when I was based in London, I went to my boss frequently for about a year. If there's ever an international assignment, I would love to do it. If there's ever an international assignment, can I do it? I mean, frequently, 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 even if it's just a few months, but I would love it if it were a few years. <laughs> you know, all companies now really make it difficult for them to send someone to another country. Most of it is the cost because it's two times the cost to send an expat to a foreign country, then hire a local person, which I didn't know. The other thing is when you're younger in your career, how can you prove that you're going to bring expertise to these employees in this other country? You can't really. So it was really for my own selfishness, I wanted to go. I couldn't really benefit the company. And I wanted to go to Paris. Send me to Paris, send me to Paris. My persistence and persistence. Finally, after a year, he's like, look, a junior HR role. And I'm like, yes, 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 yes. Send me, send me. And I said, look, I'll just pack my one suitcase. I'll even pay for my airplane ticket. So this is, you know, how I did this. And being a single person, the cost is even lower. Because once you have children and a spouse, then the cost can triple for the company. So they're like, well, we have to pay for your airplane ticket and your housing at least. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'll take it. So then once I got to England, that really opened the doors for everything at that point, because now they said, well, wait a sec, we need you to go to France and work with some employees. And then all of a sudden I was going to Germany and I was going to Luxembourg. So now it wasn't just England experience, it was European experience. And every time a door opened, or if it didn't open and I saw an opportunity, I started the discussions. Well, I could do that for you, or why don't you give me the opportunity? I can help out, or if someone can't do it, I'm here ready to do it. 
So it sounds desperate, but that's how it worked for me. People, I know sometimes they contact me to see if I could bring them over to work for my company here, but it's really difficult because getting the visa to prove that they're the best person in Switzerland that could do that job younger in your career is hard. Mm -hmm. So you have to really just look for little opportunities where you could contribute, even if it's just saying, you know, oh, can I be a mentor or get mentored by the person who works in Singapore for our company? Then you start to develop that relationship and then maybe, oh, could I go over there and do some training with them? And of course you have to work for an international company. Because if you're not, it would be hard for that door to open within your own company. Yeah. I think those are probably the pieces. And then, I mean, once I married James, he being British, that opened up even more doors for me. Without a company having to sponsor me, I can work in Europe under his sponsorship. So not that you're going to marry someone for that, but But before that, it was just a lot of me creating those opportunities because that's just what I wanted early in life. I wanted to work internationally. So I made it happen. I think it's important to be intentional and deliberate about what you want and Yes. I think that's good advice. If you want to work internationally, you need to take a job. Sometimes the job, the HR job in London was maybe a little bit below what I thought I could do. (laughs) But I was actually surprised because there's a huge learning curve once you get in a country as to how the business operates and works. So you have to be careful not to take on more than you can chew and don't have an ego. Be humble and willing to take what comes your way because it will possibly turn into something bigger and better than you had thought. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you'll join us again next time.